The Broad opened this past Sunday with the arrival of the first wave of 85,000 people who've signed up for timed visits to the Free Museum. And the critics are more or less happy with the building too. Perhaps the most colourful reaction came from Guardian writer Oliver Wainwright. It's so theatrical. That's what I love about it. You know, you enter into this kind of cave-like underworld that could be the entrance to a Bond villain's lair um, and, and go up this escalator and you have kind of glimpses and peeks into the archive. Um, and then you open out into this incredibly um, sublime, top-lit, you know, acre-wide gallery space, which when they take away those temporary walls for occasional shows will just be spectacular. But does that make um, Eli Broad the, the bad guy in a Bond film? <laughs> I suppose it does, although what he's, he's doing is, is providing 2,000 works of contemporary art. So I think we can cast him as the, the good guy in a slightly villainous building. I, I guess so inside I think it works beautifully. From the outside I have various problems with it, which I think are symptomatic of L.A. and the way L.A. as a city has developed. So, I mean, to me the most shocking thing is that it sits on a three-storey car park. That was Oliver Wainwright. And architect Elizabeth Diller had this to say. After five years of grappling with construction challenges and fitting a civic building into the heart of car culture. I started maybe with a little bit more irony and I ended up with more earnestness about, you know, how downtown could grow a little bit. For some observers, however, this jewel box of a building and the Broad's gift of 2,000 artworks is part of a broader economic trend that we shouldn't overlook. We want to remember that between 2000 and 2015, more museums opened worldwide than the entire 19th and 20th century. Nitsan Shakid is a professor at Cal State Long Beach. It represents a moment in history where an individual can have so much disposable income that they basically out-resource cities and counties. So what about that stat about museum building in the last 15 years? In the last couple of years, we've seen the Fondation Vuitton in Paris. We've seen the Prada Foundation in Milan. There's a big new museum in Moscow designed by architect Ram Koolhaas. It seems that everywhere you look... Museums are opening. Why are we having this global museum boom? Here's LA Times culture writer Carolina Miranda. Well, I think I think it's it's a number of reasons that we're seeing that. I mean, what we're seeing is also a little bit of a private museum boom. It's not necessarily public institutions that are opening, but private institutions established by individual collectors. So, you know, the Broad uh, Museum here in Los Angeles, uh, Miami is a great example of a city with a ton of sort of private museums. You have the Rubel Collection, you have the Dela Cruz Collection, uh, you have the Mar. Marty Margulies collection. You can just go from one collection to the next and they're all privately held. I think it's for a number of reasons. One, all of this parallels sort of the growth, the, the sort of spectacular growth of the art market and art fairs and art as this symbol of culture like no other. It's like, you know, you can be a builder of really cheap homes in the valley, but if you build a museum, all of a sudden, you know, you become incredibly cultured. And, and you Are you referring to... Um Eli Broad, who made his millions with Kaufman Broad, that was a home builder? Uh, but perhaps, perhaps. You know, you have other people that have made it in real estate development. You have other people that have made it in uh, brokerage. You have other people that have made it, like the Dela Cruz's, uh, uh, a big uh, distributor for Latin America, for Coca-Cola. Like, they've all made their money in these, like, corporate ways. Well, what makes them more than just your average corporate mogul? They buy art. It makes them cultured. It makes them interesting. They can leave a, quote-unquote, legacy. So I think you're 
seeing some of that. It's paralleling sort of the rise of the art market. You know, this one, this global 1% class, you know, at the time of rising inequity, you have a smaller and smaller group of people with a greater and greater amount of wealth. They're buying that the, the art market to some degree is entirely floated by this cohort. And what we're seeing is that rather than supporting public institutions with their collections, they often build their own institutions. And I think, you know, I think this is a phenomenon that goes beyond art. You know, you go to Silicon Valley and, you know, all of the Silicon Valley companies like Google, rather than help improve the municipal transportation infrastructure, what do they do? They set up their own private bus lines uh, to take their employees uh, to their Silicon Valley campuses. And so I think that's to some degree what you see with these art museums. It's like, oh, I'm not going to support the public institution. I'm going to build my own. I can slap my name on it. I can always be assured that this collection will be shown in the way that I want. And, you know, it's certainly not new. You know, Henry Clay Frick built uh, a museum for himself in in Manhattan. You know, Norton Simon took over the Pasadena Art Museum here in Los Angeles. It wasn't entirely his collection because he took over the holdings of of the Pasadena Museum as well. But it was it was pretty much based on on the works that he had acquired. So it's not a new phenomenon. But I think with the sort of rise of the one percent, it's just kind of added rocket fuel to that equation. So. What are these museums offering to us? Are we going for the art? Are we going because other people are going? Are we going because increasingly museums provide other experiences, cafes and outdoor places to hang out in and pop-up events and all sorts of other entertainments? I think the latter point is definitely a big part of it. I think museums in in the last decade have really become event-driven and experience-driven, not just in sort of the pop-up events that they create, but even in the type of art that they commission. So, for example, this November, you have the Rain Room uh, coming to LACMA. This was a—it's a work of art where you step into a room, it's raining, but then when you step in, the rain stops. When it was at MoMA, it was savaged by the critics. Savage, you know, is this kind of like blank piece of art. What does it even mean? It's more a design piece than real art, so on and so forth. It didn't matter. Like, people went to see it. They wanted to see it. They wanted the selfie in front of it. It was this real sort of like crowd-pleasing experience. It's been stated probably for the last... 25 years that um, the museums are the latter-day cathedrals, that we've become a far more secular society, but we still need a kind of sacred experience. We still need a contemplative experience. Is that an overwrought cliche or is there some truth to that? There's probably some truth truth to that. I mean, I always like to say that performance artists are like the martyrs of our age. Like we don't have like saints like going up in flames for us. So we'll like watch some guy stick pins in himself. Carolina Miranda writes the Culture High and Low blog for the Los Angeles Times. So the Broad is interesting in terms of global museum trends. It's also interesting architecturally for many reasons, one of them being it's much talked about veil. And that veil is an example of a movement in architecture to wrap buildings in a so-called performative skin, meaning an outer layer that both looks good and performs functional tasks. Here's the architect Elizabeth Diller. The veil would absorb a light It would handle the building's large spans. It would meet the street line. It would gesture to the public at its far corners and would create a shaded arcade. And the street would leak into the lobby through the veil. It's a trend made possible by digitization and the ability to design and fabricate and measure a building's performance based on numerous metrics. The process is called parametric design, which is a phrase you should know if you want to sound knowledgeable around architects. Again, Elizabeth Diller. So we're able to look at all sorts of layers of information like form, like 
quantity of light, even the amount of uh, glare. But parametric design also permits architects simply to have fun with facades. The tools exist to design a zany-looking skin and build it. And that tendency reminds Liz Diller of an earlier architectural trend. Some of you may remember it, postmodernism. As she explained to me in an earlier phone interview. We call that facadism or facadomy, facadomy. <laughs> facadomy. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of a perverse uh, thing to really separate the facade from the inner workings of the building. I think that, for me, architecture that has value and has longevity and is smart is when the entire building is working together. Um, I hope that we don't go back to just skins. And, you know, there are definitely some attempts to dress up old buildings with new skins and call it a day. And it's a little bit like, uh, it's a very superficial way of thinking about architecture. Liz Diller was not referring to any specific building with this comment, but it so happens that while all eyes have been on the broad skin, another one has been emerging just a few miles west. It's also a museum and it's due to reopen in December, but passers-by cannot miss it already. Among them, Curbed LA contributor Marissa Gluck. It's the uh, remodel of the Peterson Museum, the car museum in mid-city right across from LACMA. And you had some pretty choice terms to describe it. I believe I called it the Guy Fieri of buildings. It's very loud. Um, it's somewhat obnoxious. It um, is clearly meant to evoke car design and uh, racing. And I don't think it does a particularly good job at that. That's Marissa Gluck. Back to the LA Times' Carolina Miranda. What's your reaction? You know, pure insanity. <laughs> like this, this is a building that is just willfully populistly, awesomely bad. You know, it's just, and it's not apologetic about it. You know, I don't even know what happened. It may have involved hallucinogens. It may have involved a pileup on the 405. But that, this, it's this building, this sort of like strips of, of, of sailing metal undulating all over the corner of Fairfax and Wilshire. It's like, it's, I hate it, but I have to admire it's chutzpah. It's, it's chutzpah, for lack of a better word I can say on the radio. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about the character of L.A., you know, and we have over the road we may see a new um, building emerge by Peter Zumthor on the site of four of LACMA's older buildings, and the new design is being pitched to us as a building that somehow captures L.A., some L.A.-ness. Doesn't the Peterson Automotive Museum skin job capture some LA-ness? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think part of what makes LA great, and I say this as somebody who grew up in LA, is that it's deliriously uncouth. You know, that you can just do and say things here that just would not be cool uh, in, in you know, a place like New York or Boston where you're, you're adhering to all of these, like, uh, class and patrician values and what is taste and what is not taste and so on and so forth. Here you can come and put up your restaurant in the shape of a derby or your your tamale shop in the shape of a tamale. Like that is what L.A. is. And to some degree that building perfectly captures that delirious uncouthness. You know, this idea that L.A. is a place where you can come and just be what you want to be, whether it fits into these sort of like crazy notions of what's appropriate or not. And what is appropriate or not is very definitely being tested on the other side of the road. The Peter Zumthor design for the LACMA replacement is very definitely 
aspiring to be, if it gets built, the absolute embodiment of good taste. I think it's terribly funny that it's but a few yards from the Peterson Automotive Museum remodel. It's it's but a few yards from the Peterson Museum, and also it's going to be next door to the Academy Museum, where they're talking about adding Renzo Piano's uh, auditorium. Hey. Like, which to in my mind, it looks like the alien from Aliens, sort of like sticking its tentacles into the building. And then on the other corner, you have a Googie Diner. It's kind of this the only other intersection of sort of such insane architecture I can think of in Southern California is the Crystal Cathedral. Like, it's just like it's just like how much more insanity can you put on one corner of Los Angeles? Carolina Miranda is an arts writer for the Los Angeles Times. She also helms the Culture High and Low blog. I'm Francis Anderton. You're listening to DNA, 